Hey folks, welcome to episode number seven of Josh's Worst Nightmare, presented by Denver Horror Collective. I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we have Dawn Shea. Dawn Shea is a wife, mother of five, and a registered nurse by trade. She is the editor-in-chief of D&T Publishing, LLC. When she's not working her real job or her dream job, you can find her staying abreast of indie horror authors' new releases and awaiting her first grandbaby in October. Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare, Dawn. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm very glad that you're here. And I should say right away that Dawn's D&T Publishing they're the ones who put out my cosmic folk horror novella, Molina, uh, from April. Yes. Yep. And uh, so that means I have to do everything she tells me for the rest of my life, apparently. I didn't read that part <laughs> of the contract. So always read your contracts. Uh, but no, I am greatly indebted to her, though, and she's been a great publisher to work with. And of course, for folks who have been following Josh's Worst Nightmare for every episode. I invite on horror authors, people in that world to talk about an aspect of biological horror. So the framing of that is living creatures or vital processes and something that's relevant to their work, their world. And as an RN, let's talk about some hospital horrors. Okay. So let me start off with this when you were a little kid were you drawn to fixing skin knees or people were who were puking or anything like that <laughs> actually no i was not um when i was young i was going to be a teacher but then i quickly realized that i that was not my calling so um the next thing I decided was that I thought that I wanted to be a nurse just because I've always enjoyed helping people and I've never had a weak stomach. So that, you know, people say, talk about a weak stomach. I, I've never had that. So um, it just seemed like a logical choice in career path. So that's what I did. Yeah. I mean, folks like you who don't get easily grossed out, that's a real skill or talent it's probably inborn right i don't know if you decide to not worry about those things it's just something in your genetics or whatever that makes it so those things don't freak you out right right i i can only assume that that's the case but i don't ever remember anything ever bothering me as far as body fluids um so i've been fortunate in that aspect i can i can handle pretty much anything now, so you have to deal with all sorts of stuff. So we're talking everything from poop to puke to blood to bile. Now, there's got to be something that does gross you out, though. Um, yes, that would be feet. <laughs> <laughs> Just in general? Um, no, you know, if let me say that. It's generally people that have something like diabetes or a peripheral vascular disease or something to, of that effect. They, they don't get good circulation to their lower extremities. So their feet are usually very dry and they're very um, 
edematous most of the time. Their nails are really thick and hard. Um, so when you start messing with their feet, these skin flakes just start. It looks like it's snowing sometimes because mm. <laughs> these skin flakes are going everywhere. And I literally, I, it just, it makes me want to gag so bad because I'm, all I can think about is breathing in these skin tails. <laughs> That's true. That is kind of a gross image. So it's not like it's just there, but it's going inside of your body in a way. Right. <laughs> That's fair. What about, say, gunshot or some sort of stab wound? I don't know if you've had to deal with any of that stuff. I have had some gunshot wounds and some stab wounds when I worked in the ER. Um, they're not bad. <laughs> I mean, they look bad. Um, and of course, obviously, you don't always survive those. Right. Um, but they don't gross me out. <laughs> Nothing like a bunion. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yeah. No, well that's we all have our have our stuff and you know I think yeah as long as you're not a podiatrist I don't think it really matters right. that much. Yeah, I was I not be a podiatrist. No. Yeah, I was recently watching something about Everest and people getting frostbite and their toes falling off and turning uh -huh. black and I've actually been doing some awful internet searches for my current novel around infected snake bites and like uh -huh. Have you ever seen snake bite stuff up front, up close? Yes, we actually had a um, patient that would come in quite frequently because when the um, city that I live in, when they had a snake in somebody's house or, you know, under the house or whatever the case may be, he, they called him to come get the snake out mm. and he would go get them. And so he'd come in numerous times with snake bites and um, he actually had gotten bitten on his thumb once and his hand got so huge I mean it looked like a balloon like it was about to bust and it was so dark and mm. um, they were actually worried they might actually have to amputate his hand uh that time but luckily they didn't have to <laughs> but I told him he might consider a career change <laughs> yeah it's definitely some dangerous work so how do you feel about dead bodies Well, they don't freak me out. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends on the situation when they died, I think. Um, I have had some that were quite uh, malodorous, you know, because <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they had been dead for several days. Um, but if it's somebody, you know, that has just passed away or you know, to that, something like that, it, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, even the ones that, you know, have either been dead for a while or they were in a bad place when they died, like mm -hmm. in the woods, for yeah. instance. Um, you know, the smell's kind of rough. <laughs> uh, you just, but you just have to put a mask on or put some dicks under your nose and go on. Right, right. Well, speaking of masks, how was working as a nurse during a pandemic, particularly the early phases when we had no idea what was really happening? It was scary. Um, we had a lot of patients that were really sick and, and we had several that did not survive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, that, you know, and being 
a wife and a mother and all of that. I mean, you know, that's all goes through your head. I don't want to take this time to my kids or my husband. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, you're changing clothes in the backyard <laughs> to keep from bringing in any kind of germs or, and um, you're hot and your face hurts and, you know, all these things because you have to wear all this PPE. Um, so it was, it was quite a challenge, especially at the beginning when there was so little known about it. And, uh, so many people didn't realize exactly what was happening and you were getting different information from different places. So, um, it was scary and and hard. Um, but we, we made it, we survived. (laughs) Yeah, I can only imagine. And I think they throw the term heroes around too much these days, but I think that counts. I mean, that's definitely heroic in the middle of a pandemic or the beginning of a pandemic when it's like, what is happening here? I'm still going to go here into harm's way. Frankly, I would have quit any job I had to do if I had to be out in public. I was just like, oh, sorry, people, you're on your own. And you're out there like, bring the sick people to me. So that's, I can't even imagine. So definitely, definitely in your debt. Well, I don't think any of us ever saw it that way. We were just doing what we were trying to do. You know, what we signed up to do. Um, and that that's taking care of sick people, regardless of what's wrong with them. Um, it's like I said, it's scary, but you know, that's not the first time that I've had things happen in various, you know, institutions that I worked at that was scary. And you just have to take it one day at a time and one moment at a time and hope that, you know, God protects you or whatever you believe in. And, um, you make it through at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So have you taken any of your experiences in this world and into the literary world at all or thought about doing so? Um, let me think. I don't think that I've actually written anything um, yet so far that um, has anything to do with any experiences that I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grandmother, I would talk to her. She has dementia now and she doesn't um, you know, she doesn't even know who we are, but, um, when she was still with, you know, had her mind and everything, I would tell her some stuff, you know, that had happened at work that day or a patient I saw or whatever. And she always said, you, you should write a book. Hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I thought about it because I have had some very interesting things happen to me over the 20 years that I've been a nurse. I bet you have. Well, can you think of any stories that you'd be willing to share? Obviously, without giving too many details away, of course, we want to reveal individuals' life situations, but can you think of anything you could share? Um, let's see. Should I tell the man with no face or the guy that was puking up pu- uh, poop? Well, obviously the second one first at least (laughs) okay so um we had a patient that was uh, at the hospital and they already knew that the patient had cancer lung cancer but they did not know to what extent um the cancer was at that point 
And um, so they had gotten really sick and came uh, to the hospital for treatment. And um, so they decided to go ahead and try to, you know, do all the tests and things to try to figure out exactly how extensive the cancer was. And the doctor had ordered a colonoscopy. Now, if you, most people I think are familiar with that, but if not, um, you drink a bunch of prep um, and you poop a whole bunch. And then the doctor will put you into like a twilight sleep and they will put a microfiber camera up your rectum and check all the stuff out in there and make sure there's everything's okay. So uh, they had ordered a colonoscopy for this patient and we had done all the prep that they had to have. And so the next morning, I worked night shift at the time, 7 to 7 a. So the next morning, this patient had went in to have the colonoscopy. Well, they couldn't do it. And they thought that um, the reason they couldn't visualize anything was because he wasn't cleaned out well enough. Mm-hmm. So they had ordered us to do the prep, which is called go lightly, or this is what we gave at that time. I don't think they do that anymore. Um, and you do not go lightly. So I don't know why it was named that, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he had ordered us to do the go lightly enema style. So instead of him drinking the prep this time, we did it as an enema. Mm-hmm. So we did that and all everything was you know seemingly going fine and um it was about midnight one o'clock in the morning he had turned his call light on and the dna had went to see what he needed and she came to the desk and her eyes were as big as saucers i mean they were huge and she was like stone and i said yes and she just kept standing there looking at me and I was like, what's wrong? And she's like, I, I, I need you to come here like right now, right now. And I was okay. Okay. So I got up, went down there. What had actually happened was they could not do the colonoscopy, not because he was not cleaned out. Well, there was a tumor blocking his rectum. So, you know, the old saying, what, if it can't come out one way, it'll come out the other way. Oh my God. Um, he had vomited bowel all over the floor. And when I say all over the floor, I mean, it was, we had to take a towel and walk to the bed on the towel because there was nowhere to step. Um, it was, I've never seen anything like it or again since then. I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thankful for that. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but um, I was literally in shock. I, I had no, I never had any experience with anything like that. So yes, and it has petrified me ever since. <laughs> so to be clear, what was it that came out of his mouth? Hope. So... I didn't think that was medically possible. It is. God, that back, back up the other direction. The fact that that can happen, like if I believed in a God before this, I would no longer, because that is just one of the most horrible things that I, I could ever imagine. It's 
that that needs to <laughs> we need to re-engineer the human body so that can never happen again that's all i'm saying wow i agree 100 percent because i had no idea that it could happen either <laughs> but it absolutely did and he was so sick and i felt so sorry for him but you know the only only thing you could do was let him get it out my god did you get a raise after that no i did not <laughs> man well i wouldn't i mean say i wouldn't last a day but i wouldn't even be applying i yeah there's certain certain people with certain constitutions it's funny i can i can do certain things and i i've been at a car accident and i've helped out and i'm really cool mm -hmm. but then afterwards i'm traumatized so mm -hmm. i can do things in the moment later like you know general literally trauma there and then uh but that sort of stuff, I don't think I could handle that even for a while. It's for a second. Jeez. Well, thank you for your service. What about the, uh, what was the other story? Oh, the man with no face. Yeah, we're going to have to hear that one too. Please. Uh, this was a patient that I had. Actually, I had uh, on home health. And then I had it when I started working hospice. I had him on hospice as well. So I'd actually dealt with him in two different situations, um, but he had skin cancer, had gotten skin cancer on his face, mm. which, you know, most people's like, that's no big deal. Go to the doctor, have it cut off, boom, boom, you're done. Right. Well, usually, yes, that's the case. But in his case, by the time he had it treated, it was so extensive that he, they did try to do surgery. But it was so extensive that they could not um, get it all. So um, what ended up happening was the skin cancer ate his face off. Um, and he literally, he had one eye. The other eye was there, but it was shriveled up like a raisin. And his nose was gone one whole side of his face was gone um he had a bottom lip no top lip um and so we had to go three times a week and change his bandage on his face clean it uh, everything out and and you could see inside his face um you could see the bones the sinus cavities everything uh, it was just open so um he was he could he could hardly talk i mean he could some um he had um miracle miracle <laughs> he had medical marijuana um and what he would do was he would take a syringe and he would put the joint in the syringe and he would pull the smoke up in the syringe and then squirt the smoke into his mouth because he couldn't oh. suck on the Huh. joint no um and um he mostly just drank insure because he couldn't really eat anything because his top palate was gone as well um so he would take insure in a syringe and squirt it in his mouth like he did the smoke mm -hmm. and um he was he was a very it was very sad um just to watch him decline and um, he was not well taken care of mm. at all and he lived in a very poor environment 
um this is a very, this is a bad situation all the way around and, and he did end up passing away and um you know people and my even my favorite horror movie and horror book is Pet Cemetery and they say you know sometimes dead is better well in yep. his case that was the case 100 percent because mm-hmm. he um, had no quality of life and um it, it was just a, all the way around it was a sad situation so um when he passed away I was actually happy for him you know yep yeah well I think you have a lot of firsthand experience knowing there are things worse far worse than death and yeah, I mean, I'd ask my listeners, what should you rather have, no face or to puke up shit every day? And it's like, neither, thank you. So yeah, it's uh, luckily most of the time, most of life is not that, but I can understand now why you haven't written about this because it's like, how are you going to top that, the thing that already actually happened? It's right. Like, you can't do much with that because it's, it's real. It's like, I stopped writing about, pandemic stuff i was writing for 10 years about that when the pandemic hit i'm like all right i guess that's over because here it is it's real right it's well and you know and even the funny thing about it is like a lot of the things that i say are crazy experiences from my nursing career happened with that one patient his daughter pulled a gun on me one day um you know, I mean, like this, I had so many experiences just wrapped around this one patient. It would be like half of a book about him. <laughs> I would probably make a good book, though. <laughs> so, yeah, don't, don't rule that out. So I'm curious what sort of patients surprised you, right, in terms of maybe some big, huge, strong, tough guy coming in and crying over a splinter or some <laughs> little kid being a real, real trooper, which, what, what patients have surprised you? Uh, I guess the two that I remember the most were we had this big construction worker, uh, you know, he was big muscled up tough guy, you know, he came in and he had cut his arm on some glass and it was a pretty good cut. And he was going to have to have some stitches. And um, so, you know, we were telling him we're going to have to stitch your arm up. And oh, he was, okay, okay. You know, he had no problem with it. So um, we, we started getting ready, you know, sewing the laceration up on his arm. And I was, I was, the doctor was doing the suture and I was just assisting. And I was standing there and I was watching him and I got to looking and I thought, uh-oh. And I recognized just by the look on his face and I scooted up closer to him and put my hand out. Just, I mean, he fell over the exact time I walked up and put my hand out oh. <laughs> um, and I caught him before he fell off the table. So wow. uh, he, and he, I mean, he was fine, you know, he woke up and he was fine, but, uh, and then we had a little boy, he was young and he had Crohn's disease hmm. And, um, you know, he ended up with an NG tube, uh, feet, you know, enteral feeding and all these kinds of things. And he was, you know, constantly sick and couldn't eat and, um, having all these tests run and having to go to the little Bonner over and over and over. And, um, he, they finally got him on a treatment plan and he started doing 
so well and he started gaining weight and he came in like a few months later to the clinic I was working at and it had been several months since we had saw him and I was just shocked he looked so good he had gained weight um, and he was doing so amazing and a matter of fact I saw him just a year well no (laughs) that was COVID Um, I guess it's been probably about two years ago now I saw him of course he's an adult now um, I saw him in Walmart and he came up and hugged my neck and he, because we really had to advocate for him because they weren't wanting to really try to figure out what his real problem was. And he was kind of just getting pushed back and forth to different doctors. And, um, so the nurse practitioner that I worked for at the time, she and I, we really advocated for him and got him into a good doctor of honor and they finally helped him. And I was so happy. And, and he came up to me in Walmart a couple of years ago and hugged my neck. And he, he thanks me still, you know, years later for, mm. you know, getting him the help that he needed. So yeah. um, it blessed, they blessed my heart more than I do theirs most of the time. I say that all the time, but that's true. That, um, mm. you know, I've worked with some amazing patients and, and I'm so proud of them, how they've overcome some of the things that they've had wrong with them. Yeah, well, that's a really great reminder that there's a lot of positive out there too, and it's great that you're you're able to give to them, and uh, they're able to give to you that life of service, right? A lot of people who don't understand <laughs> giving yeah. that giving is you you get back more when you give, and I certainly don't give in that way because it grosses me out, but I try to do it in other ways. <laughs> yeah, so I'm very glad of folks like you who do that. So how do you stay cool under pressure? That's a that's a thing that is useful, obviously, in nursing, but pretty much across the board, whether you're a writer or just a human being. And do you think that's just an inborn thing? Or can you learn that? Um, I think you can learn it to an extent. But I also think that it's kind of um, there's people definitely that are born with, uh, or, you know, grow up with or whatever, um, that natural, um, ability to be cool under pressure. And my husband, he laughs all the time and he'll say, you freak out over the smallest things. But then if it's something big and huge and like a big, you know, a big deal, then you're just as cool as a cucumber. Right. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, I, you know, I love, and I say this and people are probably going to go, Oh my God, but I, I love a car wreck. I'm not going to lie. I do. (laughs) And I will work a car wreck like nobody's business, but the minute it's over and I have a minute to sit down and kind of gather my thoughts, I crash every time I cry, you know, I, you know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't believe this happened. Um, but you don't think about it at the time you just do. And they say, you know, that's an adrenaline uh, response Um, and maybe it is. And, but um, I do like a good car wreck or, you know, an arm getting chopped off or something like that. I do love a good situation. Yeah. I mean, my dad is a volunteer firefighter and EMT and he's really good in those situations. And, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty good in them at the moment, but then afterwards, similar to you in that way, I, it affects me and it doesn't affect my dad, 
but yeah, like a car wreck, I've gone there and just like, okay, using my wilderness first responder training, which is not much. <laughs> I was in, I saw two car wrecks and I helped out in both occasions and uh, I did what I could mm -hmm. until I saw basically a, a square punched out in this one guy's head. And I was like, ah, this is out of my, uh, out of my territory here. <laughs> yeah. But I've been in situations, yeah, like animals attacked. I'm very good at the time, but then afterwards, and not so much the animal stuff doesn't bother me. It's the, it's the, yeah, the, not even the blood though. It's like the more the viscera. If I could see like inside the body, uh -huh. I mean, and I, I have this thing, I've never revealed this to anyone, but you're a nurse, so I, I can just treat this like no one else is listening. So I have this weird thing that no one has, has ever been able to make sense of the few people I've revealed it to. So if I see somebody who has like a cut or something like that, like I don't like get woozy or anything like that. I get, it's almost like a, <laughs> it's like a, a warm flush around like my ass area. And I'm not crapping myself <laughs> or pissing myself, I swear. But it's like, it's like a, almost a tightening in a, I call it, I have a name for it. I call it anal empathy because that's the close that's it's like i see what they're and that's where i feel it and i have no idea like what does that mean uh well you know my daddy always had the phrase that makes my tail hole want to dip and snuff i guess that's the same thing huh okay so maybe i'm not the only one if you're listening to this podcast and you've experienced this too we can start a support group because i think i'm the only one that i know of well, I can, I can say that I have never heard that before. <laughs> yeah. The few people I've told it to said that too. That's why I stopped telling people, but I'm revealing <laughs> it for all to know. And I, I have anal empathy and, you know, I anal empathy. it could be worse things. Right. So right. we so, need to get that in the medical dictionary. I, yeah, it should be in the, what do they call it? The, um, M, uh, whatever that big book is with all the stuff. The MS, Yes. MS, yes. Well, that's where it should be. Yeah. So maybe the last question for you, Don, would be, so in terms of hospital in horror, whether it be fiction or movies, do you feel like that's, those are typically portrayed accurately or are they just glossing a bunch of stuff Absolutely. over? <laughs> no, I get so mad when I watch something that's supposed to be taking place in a hospital or um, any kind of medical setting, I get stuck. My husband, I'll tell my husband, they don't do that. Why is she doing that? They, they would never do that. <laughs> and um, he's like, would you hush? <laughs> and I, I just can't help it. I'm like, well, that's not real. That would not be happening. Uh, yes, but no, I, there's very few times that they've portrayed anything accurately that I agreed with. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, say, say you're writing something that takes place in a hospital. Like what, what sort of research should you do? Should you shy away from certain things? You know, I try to base it on my few experiences being there, but I'm sure some of it is not, not true. So what, how should people go about that? Because oftentimes if you're writing a novel, it's like, usually it seems like somebody's going to go to the hospital at some point, a horror novel. Right. So how should people research that? You know, that's a good question, Josh. Um, I'm not sure what would be the best, not TV or movies for sure. Right. Um, I get, hmm, that's a very hard question. 
Well, maybe I'll maybe offer your services. You can uh, you can rent yourself out, and that's specifically <laughs> what you do is you critique the aspects around hospital. Well, I have worked for a lawyer a few times reviewing medical charts for a um, medical lawsuit. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd be glad to help if there's something specific that you need to know about. I know I messaged, uh, I was writing a story a couple of years ago or back last year, I think, um, about a possessed priest. And I was trying to think of anybody I knew that was Catholic that could help me. Mm. And so I had messaged Chris Miller because I knew that he was Catholic and he helped me <laughs> with my story. So, um, yeah, I mean, if there's something specific that uh, I, I can help you with, I'll be glad to do so. So basically reach out to a nurse that you know, like it's something yeah. that it's such an important thing to get right. And it there's like, there's pretty much either right or wrong, right? You're not going to, there's not really a lot of leeway in terms of getting that accurate. And maybe, and, and probably a lot of people would be able to pick out it being, it ringing hollow. So yeah, I guess if, I guess the message is if you are writing about medical situations, yeah, reach out to a nurse and frankly, more often a nurse than a doctor because nurses are typically the ones who are doing all of these <laughs> things or the doctor's yeah. like, yeah, go do this thing. And, you know, does one yeah. procedure or whatever. Right. Right. We nurses joke around all the time and say, you know, everybody loves the doctor. Oh, you know, the doctor did this, the doctor did that. And I'm like, well, you know, we joke around and say, well, we kept the doctor from killing you because there's a lot of times that the doctor will say, you need to do this or you need to do that. And when you go, um, well, do we need to do this? Look at this right here. And they're like, oh yeah. Okay. No, don't do that. So yes. uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, um, interesting dynamic, but, uh, the nurses do get the brunt of the actual doing and, um, the doctors get all the thanking for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know this for a fact because my ex, she was in med school and then she was uh first year, first or second year in, in, in the hospitals. And basically she would learn everything from the nurses on duty. They were the ones who made it. So she was not inept <laughs> while she was yeah. learning all this stuff. So I saw that firsthand and uh, that's, that's a fact. It's absolutely a fact. So Don, thank you so much for coming on. But before you go, any stories you're working on or any books you're publishing with DNT right now that you can talk about? Um, I'm not, I'm currently, yes, I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm currently working on the end of a um, anthology. Well, it's not even an anthology, really. It's a book that 15 different authors wrote, we all wrote together and we huh. did kind of a, one of those round robin things where everybody did a chapter. Cool. Um, so it's coming out in September and I'm working on the ending for that. Um, Daniel Volpe's A Gift of Death will be out uh, next Friday on Amazon. It's on Godless right now. And then um, Next, we have Joshua McMillan's uh, The Best of Intentions. It will be the next one coming out. And it's really good. Uh, it's really, really great. Um, so if you're into vampires, check out A Gift of Death by Daniel Volpe. And if you're into um, true life, PTSD, 
horror things that could actually happen, <laughs> then um, definitely check out The Best of Intentions by Joshua McMillan because it's it's it'll hit you right in the field. <laughs> yeah, that one looks horrifying. I just saw the cover and uh, yeah, I'm excited about that one. And there's so many great books coming out from D&T, not, not including, including my own, but uh, many yeah. others as well, anthologies uh short story collections novellas novels and where what's the best way for people to find dnt stuff uh, our website it's www.dntpublishing.com the and is spelled out in that mm -hmm. and a lot of the stuff pretty much all the stuff is on amazon and godless got godless.com for those who don't know that's an indie horror website that distributes a lot of great fiction so that's uh -huh. excellent well dawn thank you again so much for coming into josh's worst nightmare well thank you i appreciate you having me absolutely you take care you too bye-bye Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or joshesworstnightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg. <laughs>